Hey everybody, it's time for the Mainland Podcast, episode number 21. I am Michael Citro from TheMainland.com, SB Nation's Orlando City Lions website. Joining me, uh, Kevin Mercer, our historical you know, genius and uh, resident um, knower of all things in the past. Kevin, how are you? How are you tonight? I'm doing very well. How are you? You know, I don't have uh, too many complaints. Uh, looking forward to uh, to seeing Orlando City play this week against uh, New York Red Bulls uh, with hopefully more players than they had last week. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know that that the red card uh, against uh, Real Salt Lake turned out to ruin two games instead of just one. Um, as FC Dallas uh, put a two nothing hurting on our Lions on Saturday night, but. Yeah. Um, it it could have been worse and it could have been much better. Um, let me just start out by asking you your overall thoughts of the match. You know, I think going into it, we had talked to the the guys from uh, Big D Soccer and they had these two two nuts and three nuts and predictions, and and I felt like I wanted to, to agree with them because I was so nervous. But I thought, you know, I'm positive. I'm a big I'm a big fan. I've got to be you know solid on on us doing well. But I kind of always go into that game. I thought we weren't going to do well. Um, you always hope for better, but I didn't have the best feeling going in, and unfortunately, my fears were correct. Um, the game overall, there's some, there's a couple of bright spots, but for the most part, you know, I think it could have been worse. <laughs> this one, that's a bright spot. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that that you know we had some good some good chances on goal, which if you think about Kakan not being in the team, um, already you know lacking uh, Breck Shea and Darwin Saren providing up front. You know, we did make a couple chances, and uh, and we can talk about the offsides and all those different things later. But the the truth is that regardless of how it was called, those chances were were pretty legit chances. And um, and I think that we could have walked out with something different. We, it was just a rough night, and I think it was always going to be a rough night. So yeah, it was interesting. Uh, FC Dallas came out with a three man back uh, line, and then five in the midfield. And their idea was they're going to swarm those young. Uh, midfielders, uh, Christian mm-hmm. Aguita and Harrison Heath, and they, they did a good job of doing that. They kind of overwhelmed them. Everything was sort of backwards or sideways. You couldn't really get much pushed forward. Um, Andrew Marcinko did a good job in the grades of talking about Lewis Neal not not having any real forward passes in the final, the final third of the, the pitch. Uh, it was just it was lethargic. It looked like a team missing its leaders, and uh, for good reason. It was a yeah. team missing its leaders. Um <clears throat> We can talk uh, also about um, the, the the two things that could not have happened that happened in that game. They couldn't happen, and yet they did. One, Orlando City sustains another injury. Sean St. Ledger goes down with a shoulder problem. Yes. And the other is Orlando City cannot afford a suspension. Luke Bowden takes two yellow cards late in the game and is out for the New York Red Bulls. Um, Kevin, I mean, just... Have you ever seen anything like this where a team is just losing everyone and just has, like, no one left they can put out there? You know, I, I have seen it, but I don't like seeing it, for sure. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it's it's interesting. One of the things I thought was interesting, that was Luke Bowden's first red card ever. Um, and mm-hmm. from from whatever I heard, I, if that's wrong, I don't think it is. I think that's correct. And so that's two weeks in a row we've got players who've kind of had these firsts with red cards. Um which I think is really unique because these are not these are not we don't these are like, we don't look at Luke Bowden as an enforcer nor is Kata. Yeah. These are not right. the guys that we consider to be aggressive players, um, dirty players, and um, and they've been judged I think a little harshly. Um, there wasn't a lot of question in uh, the referee's eyes on on Bowden's yellow cards, which I thought was interesting. So I didn't 
I didn't see him as clear as maybe the ref did at the time. Um, I mm-hmm. didn't. There was there was clearly as yellow cards as he kind of thought they were. Um, yeah, and then injuries. I think that it may be a little bit of the summer heat. Um, it may be just a lot of bad luck. But um, we've certainly and and Sean 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 St. Ledger especially has had bad luck with injuries. He's been doing very very well for us now. That he's kind of getting back into the swing of things. So. Yeah, and St. Ledger has had over the past few years some serious injury problems, and, and we thought that we were all behind him. He's he's put a run of a real good form, real strong form together, and uh, he went down uh, on a – it was a corner kick. ball came in, and he was basically driven into the turf, and there was no foul called. Um, and he was – I mean, it was beyond a push, certainly. Uh, his shoulder apparently popped out of the socket, which uh, I have luckily never had that happen because it sounds excruciating. Yeah. Um, he, the trainer came on, helped him out a little bit. He, he played on for another good 15 minutes or so, but you could tell every time there was contact, he was wincing and holding that shoulder and favoring it. And finally he couldn't go on anymore. And, uh, thankfully Aurelian Collin was in the 18. He wasn't expected to play, but he was, uh, called on in the 42nd minute to come on. And, um, I thought Colin played really fantastically considering he's been out for several weeks. I thought he did um, too. For me, maybe maybe the man of the match. If he wasn't, then uh, maybe it was Pedro Ribeiro, who uh, we t- we alluded to earlier. Um, he scored a goal. It was yes. waved off for an offside, which was not offside. And uh, these are the kinds of things that continue to happen to Orlando City. They're an expansion team. They're not getting any respect from the referees. I I looked at Pro Referees website today actually uh, to find out that this week's referee and his name escapes me at the moment, but is third in the league in yellow cards per game. Uh, so I don't hold out hope that Christian Igita can get through the game without a yellow and getting a yellow card suspension uh, for New York City FC. But we'll see if he does. If Christian can get through this game and the next game without a yellow, he'll have one rescinded and he'll be you know backed off of that yellow card suspension danger zone. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the chances were there. You, you give up the penalty, you know, Moro Diaz buried it. You couldn't do anything about that. Right. That was a stellar penalty. And, you know, Tally Hall guessed right, but he guessed still right, couldn't still get there. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's a quality keeper. Uh, Diaz is a great player and he made a, a, a fantastic penalty kick there. Um, it's unfortunate because it didn't have to happen. I mean, Ramos and Iguita both, both basically left their foot in the challenge where they didn't need to, because even if Castillo splits them, Colin is backing them up, and he's right there. And maybe they didn't know that. Uh, Higuita should have known it, because he was looking, he was facing that direction. He right. should have at least seen the purple out of the corner of his eye. But uh, neither one, they, they panicked a little bit. Young players will do that. Um, I think it was a foul, but I still think Castillo went down exceedingly easily on that. And, you know, he's a veteran player. He's been in the league a couple of years. He knows how to get that call, and he got it. Yeah. So kudos, kudos to him. Uh, I've seen that not called, and we've seen that not called right. on a number of uh, Orlando City players this year. Uh, again, haven't earned the respect. Um, so you know, you you get the offside, you get they get a penalty. Uh, Orlando City earned a penalty later in the game, which uh, we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, the two yellow cards on Bowden. The first one I didn't think was even really close for his first foul of the game. I didn't think that was even close. I'm not positive. I'd have to see it again on the initial replay in the press box. It didn't look like he actually made. Too much contact with the player. Um, the second one, I thought I could see how the the yellow would be instantaneous because the ref is way behind the play. All he sees is a player about to get by Bowden. Bowden throws the arm out and right. hits him in the face because Alex Dejas is five foot seven, 
if this guy's six two, that doesn't happen. It goes across his chest, and we're not talking about a suspension for Luke Bowden. So that's that's uh, some unfortunate luck. Uh, but it, it just seems like the officials in this league are very, very quick to pull their cards out of their pocket, and I'm not sure why that is. If you're keeping track now, this will be four straight reds and a double yellow red for Orlando City for Orlando City opposition, one red card for handling the ball on the goal line. Yeah. Well, you know, a little bit of disparity actually, there. To go a little bit go to go to our penalty kick, um, I thought Kennedy actually deserved a red for his, you know, kind of slam tackle of uh Ribeiro. Um he got mm-hmm. the yellow, but um I mean that was almost, you know, that was a diving all body throw to the ground, <laughs> kind of a you know, violent contact if I've ever yeah. seen it. You know? I mean, and, and I know goalies have different rules, and I respect those rules, but I also think that the ball, I, you know, so it was hard to find the ball in the play yeah. when you see that, that contact being made. So. And a lot, of the, a lot of the fans who didn't have the, the benefit of a good replay thought that he came out with the punch and got Ribeiro, and he was coming for the ball with the punch, but he, he didn't get Ribeiro with the punch, but he certainly did the full body All check. Body. <laughs> All um, <of> his body. <laughs> I'm really I'm really okay with it being a yellow because it didn't really deny a goal scoring chance because Ribeiro still would have had to recover and get the ball. Sure. Um, I'm okay with it being a yellow, but the disparity is there. I mean, it's not deniable. The referees have not called things equally, and and I was actually stunned after the game to find out that Dallas had more fouls than Orlando City because it didn't seem like it, and I think the the problem was Orlando City's fouls were in danger areas, and Dallas got called for cheap things that were kind of in the middle of the field that, that weren't going to hurt anything, um, but uh, you can't really, I'm not blaming this on the refereeing, of course, it was, it was pretty obvious FC Dallas was the better team all night, that said, Orlando City probably should have had two goals in the game. Right. Um, certainly shouldn't have had the first one waved off. And Carlos Rivas, you got to bury those, buddy. Especially yeah. when you send the keeper the wrong way, you can't miss the miss the net. It was it was almost like Abby Wambach's, um in the group stages of the World Cup. I mean, fooled the goalie and then missed to the to the top left side. You know, and, and, uh, and I know we you know Rivas has gotten a little bit of stick for both that PK and just some of his early play this season. So I know a lot of mm-hmm. fans are are they they're. They like him, but they think they want to like him a little bit more than they do sometimes. But, you know, as somebody who's taken penalty kicks and, and you know, it's a, it's a percentage thing, you're going to miss a couple. And um, mm-hmm. he dramatically missed that one. Um, but, you know, you know, he still – it happens sometimes. And I think it's harsh to give him a lot of uh, – a, a lot of a, a really, really bad hard time for that because it's, it's just going to happen from time to time. I mean, he did sky it. We'll, we'll all admit it. But it's not the first time I've ever seen it happen either. So, You know, he, he hit the ball with such force that it was always, if it missed, was always going to go, you know, a long way. It was just going to do that because he put so much power in the ball. You got to remember, it's like the 88th, 89th minute of the game. He's a tired dude. He'd been running all night. He played the first half as the lone striker, and then he moved to the wing. And in that moment, it's really hard to stay composed completely and fundamentally. Yeah. And he leaned back just a little bit when he took that kick, and that was enough to throw it off. It really and, is, yeah. You know, it's it's really a, a fact. The matter is, it's at that stage of the game. If you're going to crush it, just kick it low and yeah. hope it gets under the keeper if he guesses right. Well, you know? you know what I would say too is for a young guy and and kind of also for the young team. I kind of like these mistakes. I mean, kind of put a positive spin on this. You know, I want them to make these mistakes because this is a game we probably weren't going to win anyway, and we weren't 
that confident going in. I want these young guys to get this feeling of you know of losses and, and understanding what they did wrong. And I'm sure, a, I'm sure Adrian Heath has a you know hours of footage that he could pull out of that one game just to show players what they need to be doing differently. Um, and, and I think that's all really good stuff moving forward, despite the fact that it was a really, really rough night for the supporters and, and for the team. Yeah, well, it comes, it's come to the time, Kevin, where we got to pick our man of the match. So um, I've already kind of talked about mine a little bit, but I'll, I'll just uh, confirm that I, I thought Aurelian Collin was man of the match for me. He came on uh, with no notice, had to get up and hurriedly warm up while they were attending to, to Sean St. Ledger, came in and immediately made some pretty vital tackles that, that saved uh, scoring chances. He really um, did. On, on, on the, yeah, right, right in front of the supporters, he made one that could have been a foul so easily, but he made it so perfectly that it wasn't. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people are still um, leery of Aurelian Collin because of his red card in the opening game, but uh, he's shown himself that, yeah, he'll get some rash challenges from time to time, but he's he's really a a rock back there. He really he handles that back line very well. He keeps them organized. He's you know when guys get out of position, he can usually make the play himself. When uh, when other teams you know need to have that cohesion across the back line, when when things kind of get sideways and, and guys are out of position, really has saved the day many, many times this season. So pretty pleased with the way he's played overall and uh, being forced into action on a night when he probably thought he was just going to sit on the bench and watch. Uh, for me, he was a, a difference maker, even though, you know, the game was still was a 2-0 loss. Um, Kevin, who, who was your man of the match? I'm going to agree with you on Colin. Um, you know, and I had uh, I had friends on both, both sides of me. And it's interesting. I think a lot of, of the fans don't always understand Colin. On one side of me, I had fans who said he was too good, that he makes the uh, back line like Ramos and Bowden lazy um, because they kind of count on him being back there to save them. Um, and on the other side of me, I had guys who said that, you know, he's dangerous and rash and he makes these bad challenges and this and that. So, you know, I think that, that in, in this little microcosm of my, my small group of friends, um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of the way Colin plays, but I love the way Colin plays. Um, and, you know, and I think if you look back to his days at Sporting Kansas City, He's doing what he did back there as well. Mm -hmm. He's a fantastic defender, and I think he he brought something different to that game, definitely. Um, I'm not sure he was going to be enough to win the night, and I'm not sure he was going to be enough to really – I mean, it wasn't the best game he's ever played either, but on a rough night, I think I'd give him the the man of the match just for the simple fact that he played a a lot of gusto and a lot of of heart. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, we we talked a little bit about how – you know, all week, I think this week we've talked about how the team wasn't quite there. Adrian Heath was was disappointed. Tally Hall said he thinks it's just an anomaly, maybe just an off night. Plus, you know, the, the captain was missing. Uh, you're missing so many guys. Eventually, it's going to affect your performance. Uh, but I would say the, the bright spots for me were, were besides Colin, were St. Ledger before his injury and, and Ribeiro. I think he didn't have – Ribeiro didn't have a lot of chances. But if you look at it this way, should have scored a goal – and drew the penalty that should have scored a second goal. So all by himself, basically, two goal-scoring opportunities that uh, that Orlando just wasn't able to take one one of their own doing and, and one uh, you know out of their control. Well, and I think Ribeiro also sometimes and, and it's go, it goes all the way back to, to the USL days. At times in Adrian Heath's system, you'll get a striker that looks like he's on an island. Uh, Kyle Laren looked at that, that way a little bit early on in the season as well. Ribeiro in this game despite the fact that he didn't have his normal uh, providers of the ball, 
did not look like he was on the island. He he definitely was an involved player. And and Rebus too, even when he was in the attack as well, both of them um I think had some good moments up there that I think you know are, are commendable and uh positive signs moving forward. Yeah, I agree with you. And I and I you know, I'll I want to piggyback on what you said about Rebus before about some of the some of the fans are down on him a little bit. Uh he gets one of the things he gets a lot of rip for is being offside. Yeah. I can tell you there were two offside in that game where he was not offside. Right. Absolutely not offside. One of them, the first one I think it was, he worked himself back. He was off, and then he came back, worked himself back on, was on for a good few touches of the ball while while the ball was being brought up, and then it was played to him, and it still got, the flag still came up. That that assistant ref on that play was out of position. Yes, he was. He, he, I, he actually, you're, you're exactly right about him being out of position. I looked down and I'm like, no, he's not going to raise that. Oh, you suck! <laughs> and he raised the flag, and I'm like, you were not in position to see that that Rivas had gotten back on and had established himself back on. It wasn't like coming back from an offside position. Uh, that was the time where he hit the post. Yes, uh, on the on well, right as the whistle blew. You know, and I think you bring up a really good point, and and something I think that maybe if you remember uh, Dennis Chen uh, played a similar way that Rivas does in that he's very very quick. He's going to get called offsides four or five times a game. But the one time yeah. he doesn't get called offsides is going to be a highlight reel, you know, and that's what he yeah. almost had with it when he hit that post. I mean, he is a quick player and he knows, I mean, that's, it, that's a, that's a strategy. He's playing off of that shoulder mm-hmm. to spring that offside trap. You know, those, those defenders are moving up to keep him, you know, away from the goal and away from the attack. And he's trying to spring that trap. And that's something that he's going to, you know, you're going to get caught four or five times, but when you get open, it's going to look really good, and we'll talk about it for days on the next podcast. I'm sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, here here's the thing too. Fans want Chicharito here. He's the same way. He's, exactly he's going to get called for offside <laughs> all the. He's going to get called offside all day long, uh, but he's also going to score a couple goals. So, you know, it's forgivable. Um, second half, Rivas goes back to his normal position. Instantly started playing better. Yeah, um, as as a left wing, he's a really good provider from that left side. Uh, he's very dangerous in the attack, and he's also a, a very underrated aspect of his game, his ability to, to pinpoint a pass. Yeah. And I think he, he did some some really nice things. Um, I believe it was his pass that led to the Ribeiro uh, collision with Kennedy that, that uh, set up the penalty. Anyway, um, yeah, Carlos Rivas is a young guy, and... Uh, He's he's going to get better, folks. He's going to get better and better. He also here's the thing: a lot of people don't realize, young guy, and weighs 150 pounds. So people that think he goes down easily, maybe he does sometimes, but he's 150 pounds. Right. And he's he's working against men who are established in this game. That are center backs. They know how to lean on you. You're going to go down if you're 150 pounds. And maybe give him a year in a in an MLS, you know, training program. Put on a little muscle be able to uh, better withstand some of that contact, and he won't go down quite as easy, I think, in, in years to come. That's so. a really good point you bring up. All right. Well, I think we're all we're all over this Dallas thing. I think yeah. we've, we've covered it about as much as you <laughs> can. move on yet, please. <laughs> yeah, one thing we will talk about uh, from that night, though, is at halftime of the game, uh, Flavio Augusto da Silva, the majority owner of Orlando City, uh, made some remarks, talked about you know, the the friendly this week. And by the way, we're recording this the night before the friendly, so we're not going to be talking about the friendly tonight. Um, talked about Brazilian night Saturday against New York Red Bulls. But the important thing is people kept asking him about Chicharito, and 
he was saying, you know, it's early in the process. The less we say about this, the better for us, for our chances right now. And we hope in one or two weeks we'll be able to talk very differently about Chicharito or talk about Chicharito in a different way. What do you make of his remarks? I think they're, um, I think they're good. They're good. I, I like the way he said it. I think it's a, it's a, it's a simple way of saying it. Um, if you look at the, you know, as we call it a silly season, I mean, it gets a little bit crazy. Um, yeah, everybody, including Manchester City, thinking they own everybody, um, has, you know, puts a puts feelers out there for for. It's almost like letting a player know you care. You know, you kind of you let them know you're interested, and you let them know that you're talking about them a little bit, and then you kind of keep them interested. Um, it's all, you know, it's a chess match, and I think that there is an offer. I definitely believe there's an offer from the from the club, but I think there's a lot of other offers as well. Um, I'm not in Chicharito's brain, so it's hard to know what he would do with those offers. I'm not sure that a team like West Ham is appealing to him after playing for Real Madrid. You know, he may have that kind of feeling that a lot of the older players have had with MLS is that I don't really want to try to reconquer the EPL with a with a lower you know a lower team. I'd much rather conquer a new league. So, right. um, yeah, but I think I think they're positive comments. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the main thing that I took from it is that. He said, we're in negotiations. So that means they're talking to the player, they're talking to the player's agent, which is a good thing. That means it's not – they're not at the point where they're gauging interest. They're at the point where they're actually talking about contracts and, and negotiating prices. So it's still very early, and they may not be able to get in the ballpark that you know their camp wants to be in. But at least we know that that's not – it's not just a question of he's dismissed it and it's over with. There's actual talks going on. So that's that's very important. The reason it's important is because a, a striker in his prime that's played for major European powers like Real Madrid and Manchester United doesn't talk to MLS teams historically. Historically, that doesn't happen. This is a new thing. It's a very exciting thing to be an MLS fan right now because these are the kinds of things that are going on that never happened before. And, you know, we always got the sort of retirees and now we're actually starting to get guys like Giovinco and, and potentially Chicharito Hernandez. They could come over here in their prime and absolutely, you know, show off the best of their abilities while they're still, you know, at the top of their game. Yeah, and I think that's huge. I think it, it is huge, and it speaks well. I mean, I think it speaks well that we're we're seriously in the contention for it. I mean, this isn't, you know, this is if we weren't really in contention for his signature. This rumor would have gone away a long time ago, and, and I don't even remember talking to you about it. Um, you know, months ago, it almost seems like now. Well, we kind of kept going. This rumor seems different because no one's saying no. You know, right. you, you usually be like, yeah, that's not. We're not interested in that player. That's not. That's you know, they kind of these these outright no's. And we kind of kept getting these weird, kind of strange messages from the front office, kind of saying. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Or like, it's like, okay, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If yeah, nobody, going. nobody was shooting us down at all, and even. Even the things you heard from Chicharito's camp were like Chicharito would prefer to play in Europe. Right. Okay. Um, you know, and then we heard uh, that his agent was saying things like he was probably not going to remain in the EPL, which means, okay, here's La Liga. Then Sevilla swoops in, says they're talking to him and Immobile, and then they go with Immobile. And it's like, hey, some of these teams are kind of falling by the wayside that were in the running. So, you know, I think there's still some a few players left probably in Europe. What, what, um, we probably need to be nervous about is like uh, German and Italian teams yeah. coming in at the last minute after you know after losing somebody maybe to 
to a, uh, a Spanish or English side. They may need a striker and get into the game a little bit late, maybe have a little bit more money, a little bit more clout. But as you said, we're not in his head. We don't know. Would I rather go compete for trophies in a country that's you know a lot closer to my home, and or would I rather like you know try to avoid relegation with West Ham? Right. You know, and that's I was just going to say. If I was in negotiations, if I'm sitting at the table with with all the guys and uh, and Chicharito, that's what I'm saying to him. I'm saying, listen, you played at Manchester United sometimes, you played at Real yeah. Madrid sometimes. Um, but you were always, no matter even, I mean, I, I recall being almost driven mad by Alex Ferguson's decision sometimes, thinking, why isn't Chichiria starting? He scored in the last four games, you know, but we're going to put someone else in front instead. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's so many good players, that, it, that makes probably makes more sense sometimes. Um, you know, I, if I'm a player, I want to play in a league that I can, I can become established. I can play every week. I know that my starting position is pretty solid, that, you know, despite Kyle Aaron's skills, they'll find another way to start him or play him because I can play every game. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's something I want if I'm 27 and have a, a pretty solid reputation in Europe. I mean, I've won a couple trophies. I've done some pretty cool things. But I've never been an, a starter where my starting position was never in question. And, right. uh, you know, I think that's important. I, th- I would think that's important. I know money is also important, too. And, Chris, and it'd be the face of the league, quite frankly. I mean, he, he, he would he become would... the face of the league instantly. And in a, in a marketplace where you know we keep arguing that we needed to talk to the Latin American supporters more, I think that becomes he becomes almost as big as Beckham. I think he does at least. So, yeah, and and similarly to Beckham, and I've I've, I've had actually had an argument about somebody with this on Twitter. He would sell so much merchandise, he would pay for himself ten times over. Um, MLS and Orlando City's ownership would recoup every penny that they spend on him. So when people say, "Well, he's not worth ten million a year," you have to realize how much is being brought back in. Right. I mean, it's not sales. just about paying him ten million. It's like, well, you can't pay him more than Kaká. He's not better than Kaká. Well, guess what? Kaká is a little bit beyond his prime years. A striker in his prime years is absolutely worth more than an aging midfielder. Just it just is a fact. Yeah, you <laughs> it's know, a, you're it's... exactly right. And that's, yeah, I think there's every reason to do it. And, I, and you look at the ideas of exhibitions with Mexican clubs, uh, the idea of I mean, just a, just the different ways you could sell that player to both Mexico. But you know, he's also popular worldwide. He's he, I mean, he's a player that people like. Even people who don't like yes. Manchester United or Real Madrid have always kind of appreciated the way he plays. And I think that he is somebody that can come over. You know, he's not like a Gerard or a Lampard who. You know, as someone who never liked the teams he played for, I don't really care that he's here. I'm like, I know that my friends who love <laughs> these teams will hate me for saying that, but I don't really care that Lampard's here. Eh, you know. Yeah. But I think a guy like Chicharito really brings, I think a lot of people like him. And I think he's a likable player that, that anyone can get behind. So I think you instantly become the top draw in the league. After, and you already have Kaká as well. So I think that that's just, you know. And I think you become a playoff team with a strong contention as well. If not this year, definitely next year. So. All right. Well, we're going to see what happens, and uh, you know, we'll we'll have the story at the mainland, obviously, uh, as soon as we know more. You know, we've been keeping you guys abreast of things as they happen. We've been telling you every little rumor, everything that's out there being talked about in the press, and we're going to continue to do that as we move forward. Speaking of moving forward, why don't we bring in our guest and start talking about Saturday night against the New York Red Bulls? Sounds good. All right, joining us, our guest this week is Jason 
Aya Pico, he is the managing editor for Once a Metro, our sister SB Nation blog covering New York Red Bulls, and he's also the host of Red Bull Rant. Uh, Jason, welcome to the Mainland Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Uh, before we get going, uh, I know a lot of our listeners like to sort of, you know, follow the opposition. So maybe you could tell people where they can find you on Twitter and on the Internet. All right. Well, uh, first, you can follow uh, the Once Metro site. It's uh, at once underscore a underscore metro. Don't ask about the underscores. That was there before I took over. I have I, I really <laughs> wish we didn't have that, but we do. Um my podcast is at Red Bull Rant, and for myself uh, on Twitter, it's at Dr. Stooge, D-O-C-T-A-S-T-O-O-G-E. All right, and that's uh, onceametro.com for the uh, for the blog Correct. site. All right. So first thing I want to do is just kind of get a feel for where New York Red Bulls are in terms of, like, we just played Dallas. Dallas was missing, I think, five guys from their roster. We're missing a ton of guys, mostly due to injury, but a couple guys in Gold Cup. Uh, maybe get those two guys in Gold Cup back, maybe not uh, by Saturday night. How is New York Red Bulls looking in terms of starters being out or missing uh, for Gold Cup and for injuries? Uh, the forwards in the midfield positions are pretty good. We have um, all of our starters. I don't think there's any real injuries at this moment. Um, the defense is where we're, we're really hurting. Um, Chris Duvall suffered a pretty much a season-ending uh, bone break against the New York Cosmos in the Open Cup. Um, he was our starting right back and pretty much our only right back on the roster. Um, failing in for him has been Connor Laid, um, who stands at five foot seven according to the um, the team guides, but probably stands closer <laughs> to like five foot five. Um, we had uh, Ronald Zubar, who's, who was our opening day, uh, one of our opening day center backs, who's currently back in France rehabbing an injury. Um, I think to his quad. I don't think he's expected back anytime soon, but that doesn't really matter because we have uh, apparently up-and-coming U.S. national team uh, player Matt Miazga, who was featured with the uh, U-20s in the World Cup this year. Um, David Purnell has been our solid... I think he's been the only guy who started every game minus once for suspension, and I think he might actually be suspended for the game on Saturday, if I remember correctly. And then uh, a left-back, we have... Um. Oh, and actually, I forgot. Uh, Carl Romet is with uh, Canada right now in the Cold Cup, and he is currently today, as we record this, is taking on uh, Roy Miller in Costa Rica. So we might get one of those back. Uh, it depends on who does what and the, the whole stupid third place thing that they do in the Cold Cup. Mm-hmm. But our starting left back, uh, Kamar Lawrence, is with Jamaica, who secured their uh, group today. So he will be missing for at least the quarterfinals and with how Jamaica's been playing, I'm going to, I'm going to presume at least the, the, um, the semifinals also, but we'll have to see about that one. So you can expect to see Anthony Wallace who started against, uh, the New England revolution started left back and he actually had a really good game. Uh, he's been kind of weird. Uh, he, he used to play for, I think it was SE Dallas and I want to say RSL. But I'm not sure if that one's correct. I know he, he played like four years in MLS, then went to, I think it was the NASL for a year, came back, featured for us twice on the senior team, and it was two spot starts, and both of them were very impressive, but he's been getting regular playing time with um, our URSL side, so at least he is in fitness. Uh, so we have sort of a makeshift back line at the moment, but... Um, 
at least we have players that are playing. So <laughs> while we have injuries, at least we're not we're not stuck looking for people to basically come in cold. Are you talking about us on that one? I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so for our fans who are getting their first look at uh, the Red Bulls in Orlando. Um, who are some of the players to look for? I mean, and the big ones, but also who are kind of some of your personal favorites? Some of the guys that maybe don't get all the attention, but uh, you like the way they play. Um, well, I think I would be doing a great disservice if I didn't start off with Dax McCarty. You know, he's a local kid to Orlando. He's had a tweet earlier today saying that he never thought that he'd be playing in MLS uh, miles from where he grew up. So I think that, you know, and, and there was talks actually of him possibly going to Orlando. Uh, before the season started, so that's a player I think you guys would would uh, like to keep an eye on. Um, Matt Miazga, like I was saying, he's played in uh, two tournaments this year with the United States U20 team. Uh, he's getting some sniffs from abroad, possibly one of the Red Bulls um, parent clubs uh, in Germany or Austria. Um, Bradley Ray Phillips, of course, is the big one up front. Uh, I don't know if he'll be starting, but Anatole Bon, if he does... Uh, this kid is 18-year-old Cameroonian, uh, signed with the team before the season started, played some matches with the USL side, and has featured recently in the last like five or six matches, has already put up, uh, I think it's three goals scored in those matches, um, and not just goals scored. Uh, if you, for those that watched the national broadcasts uh, a few weeks ago, we put... We took on New York City FC, and he was in the six-yard box going off for a header. And instead of putting it on goal, he had the presence to head it uh, away from him back to Chris Duvall, who got his happened to get his first MLS goal uh, off of that header. You know, unfortunately, he got hurt the following week. But uh, Aban is one of those kids where if he's on the field, you have to watch out for him because not only does he know how to score. At 18 years old, he is very self-possessed and knows what to do, and he's not afraid to pass the ball off if he doesn't have a shot. He's the easiest example I can give is he was Bradley Wright Phillips last year. You know, he plays a tar- mm. he plays a target striker, knows when to take the shot, knows when do- he shouldn't, and when he shouldn't, he tries to find someone else that's in a better position, and he's a real threat if he's on the field. Well, we uh, I certainly got a chance to see uh, Miazga in the in the U twenty World Cup, and he was very very impressive. Tall, tall kid. Um, he could create some problems on set pieces, obviously with with his height. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to play New York Red Bulls right now because Orlando's been a bit banged up. They got some guys missing. Luke Bowden now is going to miss the game with the yellow card suspension. Uh, for picking up two yellow cards last week. Um, so there is no left back on the team right now. Uh, and with Breck Shea also being out. And, you know, playing a Red Bull side that is actually playing some pretty good soccer right now, eviscerated New England last weekend. Um, it's interesting because it, it looked like to me from watching from afar that Red Bull started the season pretty hot. Then they went into a, like almost a very concerning lull in, in form, and it looks like they righted the ship. Yeah, um, so you were talking about getting off to the season uh, on a hot start, and that was a uh, seven-game unbeaten streak where um, – or, sorry, a uh, six-game unbeaten streak. We went uh, 3-0-3. But the thing that I don't think anybody realized was during that stretch, and actually it wasn't until um, we beat uh, New York City FC um, on June 28th, was that 
the Red Bulls up until that game against New York City had never won when uh, falling behind in the game. So those first six games, the the um, sorry seven games, it was seven, it was three zero and four. Um, so the first four games, so those draws in the first, those four games, they had us either come back from like you know one goal or two goal deficit. The wins all came from winning positions. So those first seven games, the first goal was the key. Um, they did go into a lull. They went um, four straight without a win. Uh, coincidentally, if you look at those games, it just kind of happens to match up with when Matt Miazga was away with the U20 World Cup. Um, they hadn't suffered a loss with Miazga on the field up until uh, two weeks ago, actually. It was kind of funny. Um just how important Miazga has been to this team since he kind of took over for uh, Ron Zubar, who happened to get hurt in the first week and just hasn't come back healthy since. Um, but more importantly, the offense has finally started to get itself back together. Uh, early on in the year, Bradley Phillips had five goals, but three of them were from penalty kicks. Um, personally, I think it was tactics because last year, Ray Phillips was – put in a position where Mike Pecky said, go stand in the penalty box. We'll get you the ball. And then you take your shot this year. It's uh, we want you to be a facilitator. We don't want you to be the target forward. So you saw him a lot of time running behind the midfield. Actually, um, you see like Sasha question leading the attack with Ray Phillips lagging behind him. And that's not somewhere that a designated player forward who scored 27 goals in MLS last year should be playing. So, that started to change a little bit um, with the bond coming on right. Phillips moving to left wing at points where a bond's becoming that striker that uh, right. Phillips was last year and uh, against New England, actually right. Phillips played the way he did last year. He had two goals that were pretty much Lloyd Sam just getting him the ball on a dime and he just put it away. So I think the fact that right. Phillips is kind of getting back in the form uh, Jesse Marsh is starting to understand how to play this team, and that, of course, you know, uh, chemistry is finally starting to be built halfway through the year, has kind of helped with this turnaround. Uh, we you know we still lost against um, Columbus on July 4th, but that was our sixth game in like 19 days. So, I mean, there's a lot of fatigue issues that go into it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's this team is finally starting to click. And then last week, um, you know, 4-1 is a, is a great scoreline, but don't read too much into it because New England didn't have Jermaine Jones. So, I mean, that, that's a big hole in the midfield that the Red Bulls were able to exploit. Well, and you know, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the coaching changes and the things that have been going on on the field with the uh, two different coaches you all have had. You started the season um, with a lot of uh, disgruntled fans and supporters uh, with this big change. Has that died down, or are, are the fans have the fans forgiven that change, or is there still kind of a, a quiet protest going on? I don't think fans will ever um, forgive the change. I mean, you had Mike Pecky, who not only was a club legend as a player, but brought the team to its first ever trophy in the 2013 Supporters Shield, brought it to one goal away from MLS Cup final last year, when arguably you can um, point to the the first matchup against uh, New England, F- or sorry, uh, New England Revolution in the playoffs, and said that they were hard done by, and if it wasn't for that, they might have actually went through. So there's always going to be a level of distrust, I think is the best way to put it, um, when it comes to how Mike Pecky was handled 
Um, but I think by and large, and, and the fans were never mad at Jesse Marsh. I just want to make sure that's clear. Mm-hmm. All the, the anger was directed towards Ali Curtis and the front office. Um, they, the fans understood that Jesse Marsh was brought in after the fact that he, he's not going to facilitate that kind of move. Um, so I, I, and you have to understand rebel fans just aren't happy in general. I mean, we went, <laughs> we went how long before we won a trophy? It was almost, it was almost 20 years. And, you know, since the Red Bull, uh, arena started, which is, you know, 2010 through now, the Rebels have always made the playoffs and have always managed to lose in the first round until last year. So there's just a lot of, uh, trying to get the right word here. Angst, pent, angst, pent up. Yeah, uh, angst, yeah. It's, it's just you know, it's just we, we always expect it. We always expect the fall. So it's just a matter yeah. of when. Um, nobody thought Pecky was going to get fired after those two years, and he probably didn't deserve to. But um, it seems like, for the most part, the anger over it has died down. I'm sure if you know we were to go on like a ten game losing streak, people would start calling for heads again. But you know, it's like all things in sports. If you win, it kind of takes away anything else because all, all that really matters in the end is winning. Now it's kind of interesting for Orlando city because we've come into the league at the same time as, as New York city FC and our fans have taken, uh, I'm sure New York Red Bulls can relate to an instant dislike of New York city FC and all it stands for and all of its fans. There is a, <laughs> yeah, there's a, a very huge, huge, uh, hatred here for, for NYC FC. Um, but how do you, as a Red Bulls fan, and how do Red Bulls fans in general feel about Orlando, this this new upstart team coming in and, and trying to make a splash in MLS? Um, I, I, don't, I say this with, with I say this with no um, intent, ill intent mandated. I'm kind of indifferent, you know. It's just mm-hmm. it's we we don't hate you. We have no reason to hate you. Um, right. We, we have no reason to like you either because you're in the same conference <laughs> as us, so you're fighting for a playoff spot, but. You know, it's it's different with New York City FC basically right in the backyard for the last two years or a year and a half, two years. All we've heard about is how when this team comes in, they're going to own New York City. You know, it's, oh, New York City's here. We're going to save this market. And, of course, that, does, that hasn't happened. I mean, granted, New York City FC has had some good crowds, but they're in the first year. It's give them another two years and playing in Yankee Stadium that their crowd's going to fall off just like the Red Bulls did when they played as Metro Stars in Giant Stadium, which was a cavern. I mean, it's it's not a good situation. Um, and a little bit of a little bit of history you have to kind of take into account is that there are some uh, fans that used to be Red Bulls fans, used to be part of Red Bulls supporter groups that jumped ship to New York City SC. So, of course... There's that aspect where people felt, and in Red Bull supporters groups, felt hard, hard done by because you had these people that were part of the culture in the supporters section, and that just because this team opened up in New York City that they decided that it's easier. Um, you know, there are pe- there are fans of the Red Bulls that come from, uh, I think, I think like one year somebody runs my podcast saying that they traveled like two to three hours for every game. And, you know, I, I li- personally live in Maryland. It takes me two hours to the game. I can't do that every week. I can't imagine the dedication it takes to actually drive two hours 
to a game every week, but you know, there's some people in New York City that are like, well, we don't want to deal with public transportation, so we're just going to go to the team that's closer. And you know, that's they're right, they can, but I, a lot of people and myself included just have to say, you know, like the New York Jets, New York Giants, both play New Jersey. They, you know, people have no problem coming out for them, but they have a problem coming out for a soccer team that's a sport they're into. So that's mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the discontent is between Red Bull fans and New York City FC fans. So yeah, and I can totally understand that. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's interesting you bring up the idea that um, that we I think we don't think about that that these are fans. Some of these fans are people who just happen to live closer to one team and go, you know, I don't really want to go that far anymore, or have had issues with Red, the Red Bulls. Um, so looking forward to the, the matchup this weekend, um, have you guys, can, is the team at all worried about the heat in Florida? Uh, apparently they are. Um, there was word that, uh, Jesse Marsh moved, uh, the start of practice back to around noontime today to try to get the team used to the heat. So, um, uh, obviously the team's preparing for it. Uh, I imagine there's some concern, like, you know, when you go to, um, like Houston, Dallas, they tend to play at night. You don't see a lot of day games in those cities because specifically the heat, you know, like the Texas Rangers, they don't play day games in Texas because of the heat. So um, I, I think that going down to Florida, having to deal with uh, the weather down there. And I've, I used to vacation there you know, like once a year. So I and granted I was on the coast, but I understand the, the, you know, how unpredictable the weather can be, especially in the summer. Um, so it, it makes sense that Jesse Marsh has practice in early, and I think that they're, that's definitely something they're concerned about as a team is making sure that they don't succumb to the heat, especially after the stretch that we've played with the six games, 19 days, because we're only really two weeks removed from that, and that's you know that's not something that you just recover from overnight. And then we have a series of matches coming up, uh, not this week but the week after, with a U.S. Open Cup match and a friendly Actually, it is next week. Sorry. I, I, wow. <laughs> Just completely lost of time. But so, like, a week from now, we're going to play an Open Cup match and then an uh, International Champions Cup friendly on two straight days. So, I mean, the team is obviously concerned about conditioning, not only for the Orlando City match, but it has to be for the matches that follow because we're basically going to play four games, I think, in eight days or something like that. Well, yeah, the the schedule can get condensed uh, quite a bit when you start getting those U.S. Open Cup dates and those summer friendlies in there. Um, it's interesting to hear, you know, that some of the fans there just flipped and decided, well, this is closer, so they're my team now. Because uh, I forget who it was that said, uh, you can change your religion, you can change your political views, but you can't change your football team. <laughs> so I don't know. If you're really loyal to your team, uh, I don't see any way you could just turn your back because another team comes in and, and they're closer. But um Hey, that's what New York City fans are all about. Uh, well, in, 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 in fairness, you know we're not to the point where um, the sport's been around for 50 years, and you have you know second, third generation fans that sure, have grown up sure. on it. So it's a little bit easier to to see people um, leave from one team to another because they're not as invested yet, and they don't have the history behind the reason they're supporting that club. And we may actually see a tiny bit of that here when Atlanta comes in because some of the some of the Southern Georgia fans have been uh, sort of uh, accepting of Orlando City, but when Orlando when Atlanta kicks in, they may 
jump ship. But I, don't, I, I think that'll be a pretty contentious uh, rivalry, too, when it happens. But uh, probably not a New York versus New York thing. Um, before we let you go, Jason, uh, definitely want to get your thoughts on the key matchup of the game and get your get your match prediction. We always make uh, our guests do a prediction. Uh, honestly, I don't really know much about your roster, but I'm just going to say that the defensive midfield of Dax McCarty and Felipe Martins is going to be where the game is won and lost this week for the Red Bulls. Um, the center backs that we have aren't the quickest ones on the field. Um, our fullbacks like to get up into the attack and, you know, play crosses in from the side of the box. Uh, there was a goal that Columbus scored where if you look at look at how it was scored, you had uh, our back line basically playing a bucket, and uh, I think it was Ethan Finley found space behind um, Kamar Lawrence and next to Damian Parnell. And because of his skill, he was able to create even more space when Parnell came over. Um so having that defensive midfield of Dax and Felipe is going to be really big because it's going to provide cover for the fullbacks going forward, especially fullbacks that haven't had a lot of playing time with the senior team yet. Um, so there's, they're going to be prone to get to mistakes. Um, if Dax and Felipe can cover them well enough, hopefully Orlando can't sprint a counter because that's really the way to beat New York is if you sprint a counter on the wings, you're most likely going to get a decent shot off on goal. So that's what I would look for. Um, Dax has a tendency to drift to the wings to try to protect. And then, of course, that leaves open space in the, the center of the field. So that'll be a really interesting uh, thing to see in how Orlando City tries to exploit uh, that aspect of the Red Bulls game plan. And your your match prediction score, final score? Um, Don't feel on if you ask me right after, If you asked me right after New England, I probably would have said a win. Just because riding high on a 4-1 victory, I mean, it's just... Uh, but now that I have a chance to come down for it, uh, I'm going to say probably uh, probably like a 1-1 draw. I think the Heat's going to take a lot out of the Red Bulls, but I think they still have enough talent on the field to keep the pressure up enough on Orlando City to make things difficult, even though, even on the road. Okay, fair enough. And, you know, we'll have our... Our uh, predictions coming up in just a bit. They'll be wrong like they always are, and uh, we we don't make any bones about them. We we tell you right up front that we're going to be wrong, and <laughs> we're going to keep trying anyway. So, uh, Jason Iapico from uh, Once a Metro, managing editor for OnceAMetro.com and host of Red Bull Rant. Thanks so much for being our guest this week on the Mainland Podcast. Thank you. It was it was a pleasure to come on. Well, that was uh, that was fun talking to Jason. Uh, we're just gonna probably uh, be just about done with our podcast here for this week, Kevin. Um, it was good. To, we we want to thank Jason uh, Iapico again. Uh, he he was our outstanding guest. Uh, told us a lot that we didn't know, and uh, we're gonna gonna see what happens on Saturday night when the Orlando City uh, Lions take on the New York Red Bulls for the first time in MLS play. Uh, before we get out of here, Kevin, we've got to talk a little bit about um, what our what we think the key matchup is going to be and our prediction for the game. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to remind everybody, please follow us on Twitter. We are at 
the mainland. It's M-A-N-E. T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D at the mainland. And you can follow us, uh, you can read our stuff on themainland.com because I know a lot of people have found our podcast and don't necessarily uh, know where to find us. So I, I need cool. to remember remember to tell them how to find us uh, on the web. So we are uh, themainland.com. Again, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D. Maine like a lion's mane. So, Kevin, Orlando City, New York. Give me your key matchup and uh, what your score prediction is. I think the biggest matchup, and, and it's, it's easy. I'm, I'm, I'm picking the low fruit from the tree right now, but I think it has to come out and have an awesome game. Um, I think that the midfield, um, the midfield for us is still going to be depleted. I don't know if Saren gets back in time. I'm not sure that works. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but I think that, and you know, the, talking with Jason and how their back line is depleted. I think that our strikers and midfielders need to take it to their, their back line and, and challenge them easily and quickly. Um, but I think Kakai has to have a huge game. I think coming off of his, you know, the suspension, which is a rare experience for him anyway, I think you're going to come and see him, you know, kind of have a, one of those, you know, epic nights. I think I'm predicting an epic night for Kaká, and I'm predicting a one nothing win with Kaká scoring. Wow. Wow, that's uh, that would certainly make a lot of uh, Orlando City fans happy. I'm a, I'm still a little bit on the pessimistic side in terms of uh, right now the form and the, and as many people as are missing, and I'm not sure what the situation will be on Saturday in terms of Darwin Saren being back and and Kyle Laren back from Gold Cup. They could potentially both be back or neither, and even if they are back, maybe you know it takes them a game or two to get back into the flow. So. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, leery there in terms of getting guys back and having them be able to help out right away. I do think Kaká will come out strong and determined after that red card. Um, I think he'll want to prove, you know, put that behind him and prove something this week. Uh, I think that'll be a good thing. Uh, but man, this Red Bulls team has a lot of ways they can hurt you. They got, you know, yeah. Bradley Wright Phillips. They got Sam. They've got uh, Abong. They've got uh, Sasha Kleshin. I mean, a lots, a lot of variables there a lot of danger and you know Colin we'll have to see if can he go 90 minutes uh he's going to probably have to with Sean St. Ledger's shoulder injury I haven't heard the extent yet of Sean's injury uh but when your shoulder pops out of its socket that can't be considered a good thing um, well. <laughs> so so uh the the defense I'm a little bit worried about um against that many weapons and uh especially if Aurelian Colin has to do a lot of running he hasn't gone 90 minutes in a while. Um, I'm going to predict a high-scoring game. Actually, I'm going to predict a. I hate to predict. I hate predicting losses, but you know my predictions are always wrong anyway. So <laughs> I'm going to say three-two Red Bulls. I think Orlando will get a couple, but I really, I'm really worried about BWP. Uh, yeah, and Sam and those guys. They're just they. They look like they're hitting on all cylinders right now, and I don't know if it's because. New England is playing terribly, or if it's because they just look that good. But they were really amazing to watch last week. Yeah, they were. So um, that's my prediction. Anyway, our our predictions, as always, uh, don't bet on them. You know, no Michael, I've got some uh, breaking <laughs> player news uh, for you. Okay, um, great. We're, we're gonna we're gonna break this on the podcast right now. Um, after uh, Bowden went out with his red card, I um, I put on uh, Twitter. I, I I tweeted to Phil Rollins that I do actually play left back. And I am available for a very cheap price. And he favored that tweet, which I kind of take as a contract. So I'll be uh, suiting up on uh, Saturday and uh, looking forward to my first start in MLS. So 
Yeah, I think a favorite is considered a, a, a verbal contract. Yeah, it's yes. a verbal contract. I, I really, I, did, I take, I take it that way. So I'm sure Phil did as well. So I don't know though. Is he going to play you back to back? I mean, you're probably going to have to play in the friendly. Well, uh, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for it, but you know, maybe I can get a couple minutes just to get you know used to the players and uh, yeah, so gain some chemistry. Yeah, get some chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're breaking this news two nights before this podcast goes live. Um. <laughs> Anyway, uh, any final thoughts, Kevin, that you uh, you want to talk about? Not really. I think it's going to be an interesting game some Saturday. And I think that the, the – um, well, I guess with the, really quick, just the friendly, I think I'm looking to see some of those guys. Uh, hopefully some of these young guys can step up and um, show some worth and get some good experience for the club. So, yeah, it's a big we, week for us. Uh, it is a big week, a big couple weeks in a row. Um, obviously a friendly followed by you know New York Red Bulls and then – Short week again, you've got U.S. Open Cup next week at Chicago in midweek, and then New York City, a trip for, I believe it's an afternoon uh, affair on uh, on a Sunday and um, in New York at Yankee Stadium, so it'll be the first trip there. It'll be interesting to see how the uh, Lions play on the, the narrow field. Um, I think that certainly is a home field advantage for them. They're used to play on a, on that skinny field and uh, it'll be challenged to see if uh, Orlando city can, can make that work with some, cause you got to really be quick with your passing and your movement on that field. It seems like, but um, we'll leave that for next week's podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about uh, what happened with New York Red Bulls. We'll be back to talk about what happened in the friendly and we'll of course preview New York City FC, and at this point in time, I'm not sure if we're getting the podcast recorded in time to talk about U.S. Open Cup uh, as a preview or a recap, but we'll we'll see what happens next week. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, that's it for this edition of the Mainland Podcast, episode 21. For Kevin Mercer, I am Michael Citro saying, Go City! Go City!